Well, what an exciting morning this is. Lots to celebrate and uh, so thankful that you're here. We're going to finish up our study of Second uh, Peter this morning. As we take a look at this letter as a whole, we see that it's really a story of, of contrast as we see what kind of people we ought to be as followers of Jesus Christ in, in comparison to those whose lives are lived according to the desires of the flesh, those who have denied the master who bought them. And if you're anything like me, as we've gone through this study together, there have been times when your faith has been confirmed. At times when you saw yourself walking in the way of righteousness, knowing that by no means have you arrived, but at least you're headed in the right direction. And more than likely, there were also times, as I did for myself, that you too found yourself on the wrong side of the equation. At times when you could see yourself being carried away by the compromise of the secular mind. Or times when you found yourself too focused on the here and now and not really eagerly awaiting what is to come. And to that I say, praise God. Because that just means that your heart is sensitive to the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because dying to self and and living for Christ is a process. It's a a lifelong process. The question that we really need to ask and answer in the midst of that conviction is, is what am I doing to respond to that conviction? Do I commit myself to be set apart? Or do I allow myself to be carried away? Am I diligent to remain alert? Or do I let spiritual laziness lull me back to sleep? As we finish up this morning, Paul will, or Peter will give us one finer, final challenge. He, he will drive this question home and, and call us to live a life that glorifies God. A life lived without compromise. And one that is committed to growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to the praise and glory of His name. Before we look at that together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we we sing about it uh, as we talked about to You be the glory. This morning we'll read about how our lives are to, to be lived to Your glory. And yet so often we find ourselves, as, as Peter warns us, uh, carried away by lesser things. I pray, Father, that through Your Spirit and through the power of Your Word that, that our hearts will be enlightened to understand the importance of a life lived focused on You, to Your glory, to magnify Your name, to have our hearts centered on You, our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ. May that be our desire this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, if you're not already there, please turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll pick up where we left off last time in the second half of verse 15. The comparison that I mentioned continues this morning. And in our passage, what we'll see as he begins, Peter validates the consistency of the biblical message when compared to the unstable distortion of the false teachers. So if you would, read with me beginning second half of verse 15. 
says, just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. This is really interesting. I don't know that we see this very often in the New Testament to see one of the apostles pull in another one of the apostles to validate the message that they have in common. I'll remind you, Peter is drawing in Paul, the one apostle who had rebuked him. But in this context, he turns to this same apostle and he says, my beloved brother, Paul. It reminds me of the proverb that says, faithful are the wounds of a friend but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You see, Paul and Peter benefited from the mutual accountability that they brought into each other's lives. And now Peter brings Paul into the picture to validate the message that they share in common. And Peter says in in verse 13 that we have these things, referring to what he's written in his letter thus far, in common. Now, There's no telling what exactly he's thinking of when he wrote those words because there's so much that they have in common. Just a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to you Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And and that passage, which really is a mirror image of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where they both talk about the, the patience of God which leads to repentance. And yet, Peter could have been thinking about a lot of other things, like, Perhaps the words to the Corinthians that Paul wrote that remind me of what Peter said in his letter when he encourages us to eagerly anticipate Christ's return. Paul writes this. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking any gift awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you in the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That sounds a lot like Peter, doesn't it? And I think we read that just last week, a week or two ago, that says that we are spotless and blameless as we eagerly anticipate the return of Christ. Or what about what Paul writes to the Thessalonians when he says, For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. You see, both Paul and Peter saying some of the same things. They both affirm the fact that God knows how to rescue the righteous. And because of that, they both agree on the importance of how we should walk according to the calling that we have in Christ. Paul puts it this way. He says, To this end we also pray for you always, that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things, they they are repetitions. They are mirror images as Paul and Peter write these things together. 
We could go on and on with example after example. The point that Peter is making here is that the message that he and Paul have in common is consistent. And this consistency is one of the ways that the truth of Scripture is validated. It is a unified message because it originates from a single source. Peter says in verse 15 that Paul wrote according to the wisdom given to him. In other words, he didn't make this up on his own initiative. Neither Paul nor Peter had any special revelation apart from that which was revealed to them by the Holy Spirit. They didn't have a special knowledge based on their education, their, their time in seminary. They didn't come up with these truths by pontificating with their friends over a cup of coffee. You see, what they spoke was based on the wisdom given to them by God. It was a consistent message spoken by a single source. Because as we know, all of Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And if you think about that, teaching implies learning, doesn't it? Reproof and and correction point towards the idea that there's the potential, at least, for misunderstanding or or misapplication. Training brings with it the idea of development and and growth. In other words, this is a a dynamic process. Peter acknowledges the fact that we don't just wake up one day and, and, and immediately know all the mysteries of the faith. All of God's revelation doesn't suddenly become clear to us. Now, some of it may, but some of what is written, as Peter admits in this passage, is just plain hard to wrap your mind around. Now, I don't know about you, but this honest confession from Peter brings me comfort. It tells me that it's completely acceptable not to have all the answers. And that's really important, especially when you're a pastor or a teacher and everybody expects you to have a ready answer for every possible biblical question that you could come up with, (laughs) right? And if you don't know the answer, you need to make one up that sounds halfway decent so that they don't start to question your qualifications. But this verse reminds me that we are all students of Scripture Together, and, and no one person can claim an infallible understanding of its truth. If someone always has an answer, I think you should be more concerned than impressed. We're all equally dependent upon the Holy Spirit who inspired His Word. We need Him to teach us the meaning of this Word He inspired. No matter how good or influential a pastor or teacher or priest may be, we should never elevate any one person to a place where their inner interpretation becomes the sole source or even the primary source of our understanding of God's Word. See, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. And only He can truly reveal the mysteries of His truth to the heart of man. 
So commentaries and, and books and, and sermons that we listen to, they're all important. But nothing should ever take precedent over the individual time you and I spend in God's Word. Depending on the Holy Spirit, the master teacher, to speak truth into our lives. And this may be the main reason behind Peter's comment when he says, Some things are hard to understand, which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do the rest of Scripture to their own destruction. In other words, if we become too dependent upon what other people say, Scripture becomes confusing when everyone has a unique idea about what the true meaning of the text really has to say. Especially when there are those, some innocently, many not so innocently, who take Scripture out of its context, piecing it together in an effort to build a conclusion around their own personal opinion or selfish desire. You see, Paul actually had to deal with that very thing several times in Scripture. And one of those examples is found in Second Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. If you will, look at what he writes in this passage. He says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. The, the reason, as you see in the passage, that all things are lawful for me is in quotes is because the Corinthians had ripped that idea out of the context of Scripture and built a theology around it. And, and Paul comes in and says, you cannot take things out of context like that, things that maybe even I had communicated to you in previous letters, and use them with some divine approval because you're quoting Scripture to then work your own selfish desires into them. Because the fact of the matter is, we can make the Bible say anything we want it to say. But the more we impose our ideals, the more confusing it gets. It loses its consistency when we pull things out of context to support our man-made philosophies. Just so you know, that's why we here at Melanie Park are committed to exegetical teaching, a, a verse-by-verse view of Scripture, because we believe this is the best way to preserve the inspired author's original intent. Because if you look at Scripture as a whole, Scripture will interpret Scripture. It's consistent for that purpose. God understands that there are a variety of places from which we enter in to His Word. And He wants you and I to understand what it says. There really are just a handful of essential truths in Scripture that then God speaks to from a multitude of angles. Our goal is to read it in such a way that it speaks for itself without any help from us. The consistency of Scripture when spoken from a single source validates its truth. It only becomes distorted when those who are not following the Spirit make it say something that God never intended for it to say. Knowing that this distortion will always exist, Peter says, be alert, be on guard. Look at verse 17. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, 
be on your guard. Lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, you fall from your own steadfastness. See, this is the fourth time that Peter has said, Beloved, followed by some specific command that he then gives to the reader. Earlier in his letter, he says, Beloved, be reminded. Beloved, be informed. Beloved, be diligent. And now here, beloved, be on guard. The idea of being on guard is this constant state of watchfulness. It it teaches us that the Christian life is, is not a passive hobby. It is an active pursuit. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. As David Jeremiah says, nobody drifts towards holiness. They only drift away from holiness. Because faith requires action. Whether that is putting on the armor of God or or girding up your loins with truth, as Scripture calls us to do. Or, Or maybe we need to be active as doers of the Word and not only hearers of the Word. It has to be that way. The active pursuit is important because the the invitation to compromise in our world today is unceasing. It will never go away. And it will always be customized according to our fleshly desires. It has to be. Or it would not be tempting. Peter wants us to understand that we are most vulnerable when we are not paying attention. When we let our guard down and are carried away with lies because we have stopped paying attention to the truth. Or maybe we just get careless when we depend on certain truths and then relax. For example, last week we talked about the peace that comes from the security of our salvation. What a blessing to know that God never leaves us and never forsakes us. That my salvation rests on His sufficiency and not my performance. Those are wonderful truths that we need to hold fast to. But be careful not to let that security allow you to become careless. Where instead of being diligent, you become lazy. And and spiritual laziness is what makes us most susceptible to deceit. To the point, as Peter tells us, that we are carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from our own steadfastness. The the picture that I want you to have in your mind of this is is walking over a bridge that covers a large and deep gorge. Okay, One of those bridges is strong and sturdy. It's made out of steel and concrete, and it's literally rock solid. But there's another bridge. It's a rope bridge, right? Suspended between two trees over this same gorge. The question I want to ask you is which bridge is more unstable? The rope bridge, right? Why is it unstable? Because it moves. Have you ever been on one of those things, right? You're all over the place when you're trying to get across something like that. Well, the same is true of our own faith. When truth moves, we are carried away by the error of unprincipled men, and it's very unstable. This is the idea that that Paul has in mind when he writes to the Ephesians, and this is what he says. He says, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried around by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. 
But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, and causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. There are a couple of things that I think are really important in this verse. First, like Peter, Paul is teaching us that maturity is a necessity for stability. When we become lazy or or stagnant and, and we stop growing in our faith, we lose touch with what is true. And all of a sudden, it all starts to look pretty good. It's kind of like going out without food for a long period of time, right? When you're really hungry, you're just not very picky anymore, are you? You'll eat anything because it all sounds good. In a similar way, when we are spiritually starved, it all starts to look really good. And as a result, we're tossed here and there by every wave of doctrine. We're easily deceived and enticed to follow error. Like a boat caught in a windy sea, it's just hard to stay the course. And so Paul, like Peter, is teaching us that maturity is a necessity for stability. We need to be growing in our walk with Christ, pursuing intimacy with our Savior. But I also believe that that Paul is teaching us that this individual growth always happens best within a community of faith. This morning we're going to celebrate uh, baptisms and baby dedications. In both cases, you're going to hear people make a profession. In the case of baptism, you're going to hear people make a profession of their faith in Jesus Christ. Right, Jared? Right? In the case of baby dedications, you're going to hear people making a profession as parents to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But in each case, there needs to be a corporate response. A commitment from you and I the body of Christ, to stand with them in their commitment, to encourage them towards love and good deeds, and and to help them raise their children so that they come to a point where they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I know it's a little crazy to do all this on one Sunday, but it was purposeful because I wanted you to see what we are dedicating ourselves to when we have a baby dedication because ultimately that's what we're going to celebrate when they come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's it. God created us to live in fellowship with one another. When we step out of this community, when we lose our sense of shared commitment, we are easily carried away. Just as a lion will section off his prey from the herd, so too our enemy will seek to isolate us from the protection of the body. We must hold firm to our commitment to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18 with me. Peter says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in grace. This word grow is a a present imperative. It brings with it the idea that we should keep on growing. 
That we should keep on growing in grace and keep on growing in knowledge. And more specifically, keep on growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As our Lord, we surrender to the authority of Jesus as our Master who bought us. Who paid the price for the penalty of our sin when He died on the cross. And in Him we have forgiveness. Through faith we believe that His sacrifice was sufficient. And for that reason, Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. Because He is the one who rescues us from the wrath of the judgment of God upon sin in the hearts of men. He tells us that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus Christ is our Lord and our Savior. Be alert. Don't be carried away. Keep on going in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and what He has done and made possible for those who have faith in Him. Because our growth is ultimately what brings Him glory. This is the thought, the, the, what I would consider the most important thought that I want to leave you with as we close up our study of Second Peter. In one of our recent staff meetings, we had a discussion as we looked at a passage in Exodus that described all the blessings that God promised to the Israelites if they would be faithful to follow Him in obedience. But as we know, they forfeited many of those blessings by being influenced by the pagan world around them. They were easily carried away. And then we went on to make a list of the blessings in our own life that God has promised us. Things like the Holy Spirit, forgiveness, peace. And we made a long list. It went on and on and on. And it should be long because what did Peter tell us in our letter that we've looked at together? He says, you have everything you need for life and godliness. And yet, how easily we too are carried away. But why is that? Why are we so prone to wander? Well, I believe Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes may have the best answer for that question. Here is a man who literally had everything. He had power. He had riches, wives, land, property. But do you remember his conclusion in the end as he looked back on his life? Remember what he said? Vanity of vanities, it's all vanity. I believe the conclusion he came to was because he learned that when it's all about us, it's never enough. It's vanity. The reason we are so easily carried away is because all too often my world centers around me. Even to the point that I can develop an appetite for God's blessings in a way that I use it to fulfill my selfish desires. I believe Solomon dealt with this same issue in his life. He literally had all that any of us will ever experience in our lifetime. But in the end, whenever he looked back at this life of excess... He concluded that our true fulfillment, the the true fulfillment in the heart of any man is found only when we live for something greater than ourselves. It's something that has no beginning and no end. 
something infinite. See, that's Peter's message as well. And Paul, and for that matter, that's the message of Scripture. It, it says that all our heart desires can only be satisfied completely in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When it's all about us, it's never enough. So Peter tells us, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, living for something greater than yourself. All that I am and all that I do should center around all that He's done and who He is in the world that He created. To amend a quote from John Piper, I would say it this way, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Christ alone. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and what? For Him. So grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, knowing that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Christ alone. Amen? Let me pray for us. God, we are so grateful for that reminder. And help us to live according to that truth. Protect us from being easily carried away by the deceit that surrounds us in the world. May we do that as we encourage each other towards love and good deeds, as we spend time in your word and allow your spirit to speak truth into our lives. Father, may we trust in your promise to strengthen us, to protect us, to guard us. And may we pursue passionately an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. We pray this in His name. Amen.